Hey, before we jump into the Word of God today, I got to tell you guys about something I'm excited about. Last week, I told you that we, uh, that ministry is still continuing at Grace Fellowship, right? Well, let me give you an example of that. We have a ministry team here at Grace Fellowship called the Fixers, and many of you know who they are and what they do, but basically, they're just a group of people who have skills and talents to fix things, to repair things, to restore things, uh, work with their hands, that sort of thing. And uh, a couple of our guys were out doing a project uh, a few weeks back, and they were in Sierra Madre, and they're working at this house to fix something that needed to be fixed. And next door is this uh, daycare center. And as they come out to take a break, they look at the daycare center and they see there's a deck out in front, but it's like dilapidated and falling in and it doesn't look right and it doesn't look safe for the kids. So they struck up a conversation with the daycare director. They said, hey, what's up with the deck? Do you guys need some help with this? And she said, oh, we totally need help with this, but we have no funds whatsoever to do this. So the Grace Fellowship Fixers decided it was going to be their project. They went and bought the tools, uh, they bought the materials, they bought everything that they needed. They came back and they rebuilt and restructured this entire deck at this preschool at no cost whatsoever. And they just shared with the, the leaders and the kids, this is just a, a token of Jesus' love for you. And uh, last week they were invited to come back for a celebration on the new deck and some of our guys went back with their masks on and all that. And there are these kids all around them. And they gave them this, uh, this thank you sign. And it says, uh, thanks for your helping hands. And uh, it's just another example of what it's like for the people of God to continue to do the will of God, no matter what the circumstances are. I wish we could show you a picture of it. We have a bunch of pictures, and don't worry, Chuck's in a mask, so it's not that bad. But in these pictures are a bunch of kids we don't know, and we don't have permission from their parents to show pictures. So you're just going to have to take our word for it. It's a beautiful deck, and this preschool is able to operate now at full strength because of some of the men in our church who decided that it's better to act like Jesus than it is to talk a good game. So I am proud of you, Fixers Ministry. I'm proud of the people at Grace Fellowship who just continue to do the right thing all the time. So great job, guys. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, we started a new series called The Church Defined. And we said that we're not going to be able to give an exact definition of the church. But what we're going to do is we're going to try to focus the lens a little bit. We're going to try to... What in the... What are you doing? This is, I'm preaching. You're practicing drums while I'm preaching? Dude, later, okay? Oh, oh my goodness. Wow. And that was Randy's uh, styling on the cymbals for you. Sorry about that. Anyway, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with me. And we're going to start in verse 1 as we dig more into this issue of love. Here's what it says. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, 
it profits me nothing. <laughs> when I started talking and Randy starts banging on those symbols, that was totally obnoxious. All I could think was, man, I want this to stop. Which is exactly the way that people feel when they hear Christians talk a good game and don't see love. That's what Paul was trying to teach us. It's one thing for us to believe all the right things and for us to belong to the right churches and follow all the right rules and put all the right bumper stickers on our car. It is another thing entirely for us to love. And if we do all those other things but don't love, we're like a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. It's obnoxious. People just want it to stop. Now, is it just me? Or have you been noticing that when it comes to the issues of the day, there are a whole lot of noisy gongs and clanging cymbals out there. There are just a whole lot of people who have something to say, but aren't backing it up with love. Have you noticed that all that anger and that rhetoric and all the vitriol, it hasn't won you over. It hasn't changed your heart. It hasn't made you decide to vote for the other side, has it? And don't get me wrong, I understand why people are angry. I know that people have strong opinions about important issues, and we should have strong opinions about important issues. I know that emotions are running tremendously high right now, and not everybody's decisions are well thought through, but instead they're fueled by emotion. And I'm not surprised that so many people are acting the way that they are. It has been the common practice in our society for a while that instead of thinking carefully about issues, what we have a tendency to do is choose our camp, join that camp, and then those camps barricade themselves in, separate themselves from one another, and lob grenades back and forth at each other. And so once you know your camp, it gets easy. All you have to do is join your side and lob grenades at the other side. And so what we end up having is a lot of people throwing a lot of grenades, a lot of noise is getting made, a lot of damage is being done, but there's not any growth, there's not any movement, there's not any progress. Why? Because without love, you're nothing but a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. God's word tells us that for his church, there's a higher standard than that. For his church, there's a better way than that. And that's the way of love. But before you start thinking that um, the church is getting this right, and it's those people out there who are getting it wrong, remember, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church, not to those people out there. We should never be surprised. We should never be surprised when those people out there, people who don't know Jesus, act like people who don't know Jesus. Why does that surprise us? What we should be surprised about is those who name the name of Christ and still act like they don't know Jesus. People who, who are more interested in hearing their own voice than they are in touching the lives of others with love. People who are more interested in their own agenda than they are in helping those who are in need. When there's no love, 
There is no openness. And the message falls on deaf ears. So today's message is not a telescope for us to get a clearer view of those people out there. Today's message is a mirror to be held up for us to look into. In fact, take it one step further. Do you know those like uh, makeup mirrors that ladies have in their dressing areas where it's a round mirror and it's kind of concave so that it zooms in and you can see every little hair and every little blackhead and every little detail? That's what I think God's word is meant to do for us. It's supposed to be a mirror that is held up to our face and we go, whoa, I did not realize I look like that. I've got to do something about this. And that's the hope today is that we can hold up this mirror so that we, the church, can see ourselves and repent where necessary. Paul says to the church, I don't care how religious you are. I don't care whether you have all kinds of impressive spiritual gifts. I don't care if you've been involved in miracles. I don't care if you've made great sacrifices for God. I don't care if you obey all the laws and keep all the rules. I don't care if you live in nice neighborhoods. I don't care if you vote for the right politicians. If you don't have love, you're just making noise. And the world is sick of the noise. It just feels obnoxious. People just want it to stop. See, instead of a bunch of rules to follow, a bunch of activities to participate in, a, a set of opinions to hold, Paul does what Jesus does, and he gives us a foundational principle to live by. And it's called the law of love. We talked about it last week. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said it wraps up the entire teaching of the Old Testament into one phrase, love God and love people. One statement. You see, if love is the foundation of our lives, then our behaviors will automatically reflect that. And love by definition, is incredibly practical. Look at the way Paul defines it for us. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We saw those first three verses about being a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. But then we get into this well-known, well-heard, well-memorized definition of Christian love. And here's what he says in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So if you want to know if you're loving... Look in the mirror of your life. Examine the evidence. Ask yourself some questions. For a minute, stop criticizing the other guys out there, whoever they might be. And stop pointing out the inconsistencies in what they're doing and what they say they believe. And take an honest look at your own heart. 
you and I need to do this, we might be surprised at what we see. Ask yourself some questions. I'm going to give you several questions just to make this practical that you can ask yourself, right? The first one is this. Am I harsh? Am I harsh? When you think about trying to be loving, ask yourself, am I harsh? Look at verse 4 again. Love is patient. Love is kind. Patient and kind. How are you with people who annoy you? Now, don't shout out any names. Just, just think about this. People who annoy you. How do you do with people who annoy you? For me, it's always the people in traffic. And yes, the traffic is picking back up. It feels like Southern California again, right? And there's always that person who just has to be ahead of you. The guy who's going to go around on the right shoulder and get past four or five cars and get home 33 seconds earlier that way. And the people who will not let it happen and they're squeezing to make sure he can't get in. Or there's the guy who's just got to drive 100 miles an hour and show off his sports car. And he's going in and out of lanes and putting people at risk. How do you do with people like that? Or, or, or when you're standing in line, people who annoy you, uh, people who are doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, talking too loud, being obnoxious, making you wait longer than you feel like you should have to, to wait. I was at the grocery store the other day and it's already tough to go shopping and you got your mask on and your glasses get fogged up all the time and you're trying to find everything and not everything is there. And then you have to stand in this long line six feet apart and you go through this process and it takes a while. And I finally get to where I'm the next guy in line and here is this person who is checking out and they don't have very many groceries, but they have 10,000 questions. Hey, what do you think of this brand of sausage? Is this a good brand of sausage? Because I usually get this other brand of And this goes on for like five minutes. And I am waiting in line. And I'm holding ice cream in this hand and Diet Pepsi in this hand for a balanced diet. And I'm waiting while my hands freeze. And all I want to do is throw this ice cream at this guy's head. How do you do with people who annoy you? When somebody disagrees with you, I mean loudly disagrees with you. When somebody uh, disappoints you, how do you do when somebody hurts you? Do you tend to lash out? Do you tend to hold a grudge? Do you jump right into the argument? Do you try to get even? Are you harsh? God's word says love is patient. Love is kind. Ask yourself another question. How about this one? Do I have to win all the time? Am I just driven to get my way all the time? Look at the rest of verse 4. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. Jealous, bragging, arrogant. Is it always about you and your opinions? Do you need to have the last word all the time? Are you happy when you see people do well and succeed? Or are you jealous of what they have? Do you, would you rather tear people down in order for you to go up? Would you rather offer someone else a hand up? 
Or are you just climbing over them on your ladder to the top? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. In other words, here's another question. Am I (laughs) self-centered? You want to know if you're loving? Ask yourself this. Am I self-centered? Look at verse 5. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It's not provoked. No record of wrongs. That means no grudges. Now, in all seriousness, everyone I know feels a little bit like they're being victimized right now. It doesn't seem to matter uh, what side you're on politically. It doesn't seem to matter how you feel about the COVID thing and restrictions of your rights. Um, It doesn't seem to matter about your race or, or your gender. Everybody just seems to feel victimized right now. Minorities certainly are feeling that pain. And as businesses burn, business leaders feel like victims. Rich people feel like they're being victimized as businesses are shut down. Poor people feel like they're being victimized. The police feel like they're being victimized. And if you watched the news with me last night, you saw that in many cases they are. And people who are under the authority of the police often feel like they're being victimized. And if you've been watching TV, you know that in some cases, they are. Republicans feel victimized. Democrats feel victimized. We're all feeling angry right now. And I know, I know, I know, your anger is justified. I get that. But regardless of your justification... What do you do when you're angry? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Did you know that anger is not a sin? I mean, it's always surprising to people. It says right there in Ephesians 4, 26, you can look it up later. It says, Be angry. You are commanded to be angry. There are some things that should make you angry. And if you don't get angry, there's something wrong with your heart. Be angry. And yet, do not sin. Jesus is a perfect example. Jesus was angry. There were times when Jesus expressed his anger. But I want you to understand something. In his expression of his anger, Jesus never once sinned. And we have to be careful about this because I've seen things shared on social media recently that either came right out and said or implied that Jesus um, rioted when he was angry, that Jesus whipped people when he was angry, that Jesus destroyed people's merchandise. The scripture does not say that. There is no record whatsoever of Jesus ever whipping anyone. There is no record whatsoever of Jesus destroying anyone's merchandise. But he did clear out the temple and he did do it in anger. 
We have to be so careful about this. Because when we see a verse that says, be angry and do not sin, we go, yes, I can be angry. The problem is there's a difference between your anger and my anger and Jesus' anger. His anger is always righteous. It's always unselfish. It's always for the glory of the Father. It's always for the good of people. And yet, so often our anger is mixed with selfishness. So we have to be so careful because so often one sin leads to another. Guy cuts you off on the freeway, you chase him down, there's a fight, it gets worse and worse. One spouse says something hurtful, the other spouse responds in kind, and now we've both said something hurtful, and now we're no longer even talking about the subject that we started on, it's just a matter of hurting one another. One sin so easily leads to another. You see how practical love is? He gives us his definition. He doesn't just say, hey, don't be a loud gong or a clean cymbal. He says, let me show you what real love looks like. And the standard, my friends, is high. Here's another question you can ask yourself. Am I cynical? I mean, how cynical am I? Look at verse 6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I love that list. I love that he ends this definition of love with this great positive list. He says it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures. It never fails. In other words, love gives the benefit of the doubt. It never rejoices in wrongdoing. Love never rejoices in suffering. Love believes all things, hopes all things, bears all things, endures. Love looks on the bright side. And when there is no bright side, love creates a bright side. Some of us are cynical and we see that as a mark of greatness. And you know what that is? Arrogance. Ask yourself this. Do I give people the benefit of the doubt or do I assume the worst? especially of certain groups of people or certain individuals who have let me down before. Biblical love sets a really high standard. And you may be thinking, nobody can live like that. If that's what you think, you haven't met Jesus. And if you have met Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, then Christ lives in you. And what that means is, it is possible for you to love in a Christ-like way. It is possible for you to live in love. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to look together as we wrap up in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 25. And I wish we had a ton of time to spend on this, but we don't. We're going to pick it up at verse 25. Therefore... Laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbor, uh, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Do you see what happens when you let anger lead you to your behaviors? When your anger controls your behavior, the devil has an opportunity to do what? How about drive a wedge between people? You see that happening today? We're giving the devil an opportunity. 
And then he gets incredibly practical. There's a different, there's a choice that you have. Here's what he says. He who steals, verse 28, must steal no longer. In other words, change your behavior. But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with anyone who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then I love these last two verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Take all that junk and do not let those emotions rule your behavior. Put it away. Instead, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Listen, Christians, our problem is not that the Bible doesn't tell us how to love. Our problem is that our flesh pulls against us and we selfishly choose not to love. But I want to tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, if Jesus lives in your heart, you have a choice. You can be ruled by things like bitterness and anger and clamor and slander and malice, or you could be ruled by things like kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Which kind of life do you want to live? You have a choice. A life of love is possible for everyone who is in Christ. And if we are ever to be the church that God always had in mind, a world-changing church, a light-of-the-world church, a salt-of-the-earth church, if we're ever to be part of the solution instead of contributors to the problem, it has to start with love. See, God has a plan for His church. And, and that plan depends upon the foundation of love. He's placed his church on the earth for just such a time as this. Hear me. God has placed his church, that's you and me, Christian. He has placed us on the earth for just such a time as this. So if you're cowering in the corner and cursing the darkness, you're missing the point. I know there's enough criticism to go around about those other guys out there, whoever they are. But listen to me. If you're a part of the body of Christ, if the Holy Spirit lives within you, if Jesus has set you free from your sin, he set you free to abundant life, and he has made you the light of the world. I was thinking about this. You know, if there's a blackout, you light a candle. And a candle doesn't complain that it only gets used in the darkest times. Because that's what a candle's for. Oh, church, the darkness around us, it's the reason we're here. We're the candle that burns in the darkness. The church is the light of the world. And the fuel for that flame is called love. It's time for us to step up, church. No more clanging cymbals. No more noisy gongs that are just obnoxious and make everybody want to get away. You and I are called. Yes, 
you and I are empowered to love people back to peace. That's our opportunity. And I don't think it's ever stood more clearly. We're the church. Let's be the church God always had in mind. Let's pray together. God, as we confess our failings in this area of love, we also thank you that what love we have comes from you and that you're an ever-flowing fountain of love. You pour into us that you might pour out of us. Father, let us not be buckets of love. Let us be pitchers of love that are designed to fill up others. God, pour through us, I pray, that love, real, genuine, heartfelt, and practical love would be the mark of your church. Father, as that happens, the light of a candle will burst into a bonfire that no one can ignore. May you receive all the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.